Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. Um, I am Pastor Donald. I'm one of the associate pastors here at the Building Christian Fellowship. And uh, we've been continuing on in a series on hope, man. We're finishing up the last quarter of the year. And so it's important that we finish this year strong. We finish this year still, still full of fire and knowing that we serve a faithful and awesome God. Amen. And so I'm just going to continue on in the vein that, that we've been in uh, uh, talking about hope. When I introduced this series, I talked about hope being the middle child, right? The middle child tends to get a bad rap, right? We talk about, we talk about faith, hope, and love, right? First Corinthians tells us that, that in these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we talk a lot about faith. Why? Because faith is kind of like what I, what I like to call the bench press of the three virtues that, that, that you, you can see the faith, right? Anytime you go to the gym on Monday, it's international bench day. Everybody's on the bench and they're, and they're trying to work on puffing their chest out because you can see it, right? And then love, we talk about love because everybody, everybody wants to talk about love because they know love is the highest, but they also have the greatest misunderstanding of what love is, right? And so, um, we hear a lot about love. We rarely hear about hope because a lot of people think that hope is just fluff. It doesn't really matter. It kind of just, just comes in between faith and love. And, and so, so I talk about hope being the middle child because a lot of times the, the stigma is that the middle child gets overlooked. And so we wanted to bring hope to the forefront and, re, re, and help you to recognize and understand that hope is there for a reason, right? It's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. So hope is not just something for us to just gloss over. Hope is not cotton candy. A lot of us think that hope is cotton candy, that is is a lot of fluff and there's not much to it. But I need to let you know that that out of those those three, that hope, I liken it to, you know, I liken the three virtues of faith, hope, and I said faith is like the bench press. Love is like the squat, right? Love sat high, came down low, and then went back up. God is love. Right. And, and most people don't like doing the squats. They skip leg day all the time. Right. And so a lot of us don't really understand the, the depth of what love is. But hope, on the other hand, I liken hope to the deadlift. Why? Because in hope, there is patience that's being developed. There's stamina, there's spiritual endurance that's being developed. You have to develop a grip to hold on to the promise that God has given you. But a lot of us, we don't think about the grip. Until we're hanging off the edge of a cliff. Or somebody we love is on the, on the, over the edge of that cliff and we got to hold on to them long enough until help comes to pull them up or try to pull them up ourselves. And that's what it is. A lot of us don't work on our grip. Some people think that they fail the deadlift because they think that their, their legs and their back aren't strong enough to lift the weight. But really what it is is that their grip gives out before their strength does. And so the reason why we're bringing up hope to the forefront is because a lot of us, we've been holding on to a promise, but our grip is getting tired. And so like always, 
Pastor Don the Blaptist is here to encourage you to be encouraged and discourage you from being discouraged. Amen. I came to let you know this morning that since you woke up, it's time to get your hopes up. All right. Look, man, all of us are busy. And I thank you that you took time out of your busy schedule to come into God's house this morning and to assemble with his people. Um, it's interesting, man. I'm here. It's, 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 it's funny, man. I just want to send a shout out to my youth pastor, Pastor Bill Norman, who's, who's, who's here. Uh, he'll always be Pastor Billy Norman. Can y'all clap it up for him? <laughs> blessed, blessed to see him in the house. But I am a product of, of, of his ministry. Raquel and I are a product of his ministry. Youth pastors are important, y'all. Any of you guys got, got elevators that are in here, you know how important youth ministry is. There are some churches out there that would beg to differ, but we can fight about it. Facts. Listen, all of us are busy. And what, what happens is that we allow ourselves to succumb to what our modern culture is, which is our modern culture devours margin in our lives. It devours, it devours margin in our lives. What, what is margin? I'm talking about margin is that, that little bit of gap, that little bit of space right before you go off the edge. Right? We live in a, a society where they're talking about, you know, no days off. You know what I'm saying? I sleep when I'm dead. We, we just keep going, running and gunning. And we're running ourselves into the ground. What do I mean by this? Okay, so let me, let me give an example of what marginless looks like. When you live in a marginless state. Marginless is being 30 minutes late because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the house. 10 minutes late dropping off the kids because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your phone and wallet. That's what marginless is. And we live our lives like that. I don't know about y'all. I came from the struggle. I grew up eating government cheese. Right. Some of y'all don't even know that. I'm talking about we have food stamps. Food stamps look like Monopoly money. There wasn't a nice little card that you got. It looked like Monopoly money. You go, go, go to the register and you got all these different color coupons that you get. I'm, I'm saying that's, that's where I grew up. I grew up in the struggle. So much so that like a lot of y'all don't know this about me, but, you, but I, I'm a rapper. That's, that's what I do. I rap. And I've rapped going on now that is, not, that, that is, is 2022. I've rapped for 40 years. Y'all don't, don't believe it. I started rapping when I was three. The first thing that I rapped... Y'all think I'm joking. Y'all see these little kids on, on IG and stuff that play instruments and everything? I didn't play instrument. I rapped when I was three years old. The first thing that I rapped in 1982 was a song called The Message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And if you listen to the cadence of that song, you would understand why it was so elementary that a kid could pick it up. But there was something about that song that resonated. Even to this day, when I hear "booka booka booka booka," when it when it when it comes on, it I can't help but but listen to the song. I can't pass it up. I gotta listen to the song all the way through. Broken glass everywhere. Like it, it just comes out of me, right? But what they said in the song, we're talking about a marginless situation. You have that song is about people who live on the margins of society. Right. He said, don't push me because I'm close to the he's talking about the margin. And I've been rapping about the margins for 40 years. Follow me with this. All of our lives are busy. 
Yet you find yourself here this morning making time to be in God's house. Why? Because even the fact that you might be living on the margins, even though you might be close to the edge, there's hope in you because you know where your hope comes from. Listen, we're all busy. Jim Burns said this. He says, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you too busy because it has the same effect. If he can't make you bad, he's going to make you too busy because they have the same effect. They say that there's an acronym for busy and it says being under Satan's yoke. Being under Satan's yoke. There's nothing wrong with being busy about God's business. But when you get too busy, you realize soon that your priorities are out of, out of, out of whack. When we are overloaded or overcommitted, we sacrifice family closeness, end up less productive, and worst of all, we end up out of touch with God and everybody in our lives. In other words, we lose hope. Nobody understood this and knew this better than Jesus. When we look at the scriptures, we see Jesus. A lot of us, we look at the Gospels and we read about Jesus's life and we see how he went from place to place, healing people, preaching, preaching sermons, talking in, in, in parables and, and, and casting out demons and so on and so forth. He was like on a world tour, right? He's, he's on a tour going through Jerusalem. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like Gilgal rocks. Anybody in Bethlehem in the house? We, we, he, ain't, he wasn't on tour like like. Like the groups that we listen to and the, and the people that we see these days. No, he's going, he's going about specifically, strategically being led by the spirit, going all these, all these places. But in the midst of it, he didn't just go from one miracle to the next miracle to the next miracle, trying to see how many miracles he could fit in before he left. When you read through the scriptures and you read through the gospels, you see that he went over here and then he withdrew. He went over here and he withdrew. There were times that he was with all the disciples, and they seen him one second, and they didn't see him the next. They're like, man, where'd he go? Where'd the master go? Because he withdrew. He understood the fact that I can't allow myself to be overloaded. He was so self-aware. Like, we, a lot of us think that Jesus was selfless, right? He was selfless, and he just, he just was, was completely selfish, selfless and, and did whatever for everybody else. No, there was times where Jesus didn't go and heal, heal somebody. There was times where he was like, no, I'm not going to go over there. I'm going to go over here. And so then you get, the, you get the, the mistake of, oh, well, maybe Jesus is just being selfish. He was neither. He was self-aware. He was so self-aware to the fact that when he's moving through a crowd, he could feel when the, when the power left his body. Why? Because he knew about the rhythm of, in which life is to operate, that I'm not going to be overloaded, I'm not going to be overextended, I'm not going to be overcommitted. Why? Because when that happens, we lose hope. He withdrew to recharge and spend time with the Father. Here are some spiritual vital signs that we need to check in our lives. Listen, we need to check our emotions. A healthy heart is fully aware of deep emotion. Are you numb? 
I challenge you to the, the, the next time around. I know we're, we're in the midst of it right now of EHS, but next time it comes around, I implore you to, to, to get involved in EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Another thing that we need to check, a vital sign that we need to check is our moments. Are you present or preoccupied? I mean, think about it. We go every day. We walk around. We shake, give handshakes, little side, you know, the church hug or whatever. Man, how you doing? And barely stick around long enough for, to get the answer. Are you present or preoccupied? Ask your spouse, your children, your friends if you're all there when you're with them. Be where your feet are. Or as Pastor Matt says, be here and nowhere else. Another vital sign to check is fun. Mm. We, we in church, we talking about fun? Yes, fun. Do you set aside time for enjoyment? Do you realize the Bible talks about pleasure? And not just when you're just, it's not selfish pleasure, but pleasure. Like God wants you to actually, to, to enjoy life, not just endure life. So check your fun, your fun meter. Do you set aside time for enjoyment? We are commanded to set aside time for enjoyment. Do you guys realize that? Anybody know that? It's called the Sabbath. Y'all thought the Sabbath was, was just Sunday we come to church. and we're, No, the Sabbath is a day of rest. And as Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, he said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And so we're supposed to have a day of rest where we just check out and we, we, cut, we cut off all ties of work and everything, and we just to enjoy what God has blessed us with. That's our family. That's, that's, that's uh, our relationships. That's the, even the things that, that he's blessed us with as, as far as like if we have a nice house, we got a timeshare, whatever it is, check out. There's a concept of, of diverting daily where you, set, where you take daily Sabbaths, where there's a portion of your day that you set aside to just spend time with God. Then there's withdraw weekly, meaning that there should be a day, a Sabbath day that you check out and spend time with God and enjoy. And then abandon annually. There should be a family vacation or something set aside where y'all get away. Divert daily, withdraw weekly and abandon annually. Divert daily, meaning we should break up our we should break up our day into sets, meaning like, okay, from wake up till lunchtime, this is what I need to get done. These are my priorities. If it doesn't get done, it doesn't go past this. From lunch to the end of day, end of business hours, this is what's the, what I need to get done. If it doesn't get done, it'll wait till tomorrow. You following? Because we're just, we just, we'll, we'll just run up the clock. We'll run up the clock. We'll keep adding. We'll keep adding. And then we're at a deficit. Overextended, overcommitted, marginless. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Y'all got that? All right. The next vital sign we need to check are people. How is your heart for people? Do people irritate you? I, I'm, I, <laughs> me too. But listen. Listen, how is your heart for people? 
Are you able to just walk again? We we sit here, we we do side hugs, shake hands, and we just just because we think we're we're we're, we're robotic and we're creatures of habit, we'll just say, "Man, how you doing?" and keep going, not really being where our feet are and being engaged because that person that you may have asked that to really may be going through something. Or their automatic robotic response of, yeah, good. If you're really present and you're really tapped in, you can discern that, no, that's not, that's not good. So how is my heart towards people? Do, do you feel genuine compassion for people who are hurting? Or have people become a nuisance, a tool, or an interruption? A tool. We use people all the time. We have to ask ourselves, are we using our children for our, 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 our sense of, of fulfillment and, and enjoyment? Are we trying to vicariously live through their successes? Are we trying to live our life through them? How is our heart towards people? And then lastly, divine direction. This vital sign is, is, is the most crucial of them all because how long has it been since you heard the still small voice of God? How aware are you of the presence of God? One of the first signs of a hardening, a hardening heart is a, defeat, is a deafened ear to the quiet promptings of God. One of the first signs of a hardened heart is a deafened ear to the quiet promptings of God. Romans chapter 14 tells us this. Listen. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking what one likes, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Listen, of these three, righteousness can be faked, peace can be imitated, but joy is hard to mimic. True joy has a glow that joking, horseplay, and silliness cannot duplicate. You know, we got some people that are around us, man, they're they, they the life of the party, they're jokes, they're a clown, clown a lot, but a lot of times it's just masking a loss of joy. So as we continue on in this, in this series of hope being the middle child, I want to talk about some threats to this middle child making it seem like it's insignificant or, or, or that have come to try and choke the middle child out of us. So I present to you the first of these, and we have some of us in here fit in these three categories today. I'm going to talk about two that are, that are uh, uh, threats to the middle child. The first one that I'm going to talk about is the smuggler. The smuggler. The smuggler is pseudo-righteousness, right? The smuggler is overloaded. I don't know if you guys are familiar with smuggling, right, and trafficking. It's a big thing in our country. Actually, a big thing across the world. But the thing is, is that a smuggler usually packs themselves up with some type of product, and they try to transport it, transport it illegally across territories, what do I, what, what, what does this have to do with this? It's because a smuggler is overloaded. He, they're, they're carrying something. They, they have a nickname for them. They call them a mule. And in the drug world, they're, they're carrying contraband 
But the thing is, they have to play it cool like they don't have nothing on them. And many of us, we move through our life, through relationships. We got weight on us and we're illegally moving it, but we got to play it cool so nobody knows that it's on us. We have this, this self-righteous, pseudo-righteous pseudo appearance that we have about ourselves, but we're illegally moving weight. Can't let nobody know I got this weight on me. So I'm going to play it cool so nobody detects it. Right? And while you may, you may fool our eye senses, you may, you may fool our sense of sight, you may fool our sense of, of, of hearing, but there's always a smell to it. There's always a smell to it. That's why they have dogs that sniff that out. And I thank God for the, 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 the sniffing dogs that we have, the sheep dogs that we have in the building. Because here, here it is. Hear me out. We have to be, we have to operate and function in a level of discernment where we just don't take everything for face value. Because there's people in here that we come across all the time, mules, smugglers, Smuggling all kinds of stuff past you. And if you're not in a place where you're connected with the Father, you don't have a divine connection with the Father, and you're not listening to the Spirit to engage the people that he brings across your path, they'll make it past you undetected. Illegally moving, illegal in possession of that which does not belong to them. Do you realize that Jesus paid the price for sin, but you're still smuggling it around? Do you realize that your life is not your own because he purchased it? You've been bought with the price and you still smuggle it around trying to do with it what you want with it. Smuggling burdens around and he's saying, man, give me your burdens. But you smuggle them, trying to play it cool, self-righteous, undetected. You're a smuggler. Hebrews 12 tells us this says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary, unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. You can't run your race and be a smuggler at the same time. You got to let it go. You got to give it up. You can't cross that border carrying that stuff. And if you don't know what border I'm talking about, you can't inherit the kingdom. You ain't going to cross that border. You ain't going to make it out with that stuff. You got to let it go. It didn't say just sin. It said unnecessary weight. Some of us might be in here and we're carrying the weight of, of some generational stuff. We're carrying the weight of some stuff that we thought that, that we were supposed to be the savior in a situation and we're burdened with that responsibility and, and it wasn't even ours to carry. Smuggling. Some of us carrying sin that we know Jesus paid for and we're supposed, we, we supposed to send it, but we still holding on to it. Because we're fascinated with it. And what we need to understand is that sin first fascinates, then it assassinates. Yeah. 
Sin fascinates, then it assassinates. There's a reason why Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 11, 28, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. Remember, being busy, if he can't make you bad, the devil's going to make you busy. Busy, being under Satan's yoke. And we read in Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus tells, he says, take up my yoke because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Give up your life of smuggling. Give up your life of being a mule. The next person we talked about the, the smuggler. The next person is the juggler. What do you mean? The juggler? The juggler is, is pseudo peace. The juggler is the entertainer. I don't know if you guys remember, we covered in the, in the gospel centered life uh, 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 a couple of months ago, we covered the fact that, that we're neither called to perform or to pretend. The smuggler is pretending. The juggler's performing. And here it is, you have the juggler who is overcommitted. So there's this, there's this concept that your life is made up of a juggling act. And as you're juggling, you have like five balls or so. One of them represents your health. The other represents your, your family, your relationships. The other represents your career. The other represents uh, spirit and finances, right? And, and spirit and relationships are all made of glass. Those two are made of glass. The others are made of rubber, which means if you drop them, they'll bounce back. But relationships and your spiritual life, glass, if they're dropped, Though they may still be intact somewhat, they will be damaged and they won't be quite the same. Are you guys following? And so with the juggler, we have the juggler and they're, they're juggling these balls, but they're putting their priorities on the wrong ones. And then on top of that, in the midst of juggling all that, they take on other tasks that aren't as important as what they already have in hand. Somebody comes along and suggests, hey man, you're doing pretty good with that. You make that look good. Here's a chainsaw, try this. And I'm like, all right. And while they may be able to do it for, for a certain amount of time, it's only a matter of time with one mishap that is curtains, overcommitted, performance-based, they believe in the lie that I got this. They keep telling themselves, I got this. I got this. Juggling is only good for entertainment. This person functions 
anxiety overload. You got some people who take pride in it. I know I, at one point in time, I was one of those people. I, I, was, I took pride in, in, in being able to get stuff done under pressure. Right? You, it's, it's those people that I could get stuff done under pressure. I got, I got five eyes burning on a stove that only has four, four, four pilots. I got the broiler going. I got something on the grill outside. This juggling act. Running from here to there, here to there and, and, and being stretched in all directions. You know, I pride myself in being a jack of all trades. But the, but, but the problem that I find, find with that, you know, most people say, yeah, jack, jack of all trades, master of none. But the second part of that is usually better than a master of one. So, but the, but the fact that that's my strength, it can also be my weakness. But because I know a little bit about a lot of things, what ends up happening is I have to then be able to discern, okay, just because I can do this, does that mean that I should do this? And many of us find ourselves in that situation. We pride ourselves in the fact that whenever somebody needs something done, that they can call on us because we know a little something about that. But it doesn't mean that I, could, I should take it on. The juggler. And since the juggler gets, gets used to functioning at such a high level of anxiety that they end up giving only 5, 10, 15% of themselves to all of these different areas being spread thin. And it's really not of any real benefit to them or the people that they're connected to. George Mueller said this. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. But the beginning of faith is the end of anxiety. Both the juggler and the smuggler are human doings rather than human beings. They're human doings. How many times do we treat ourselves? I mean, think about it. Think about the culture that we live in. We live in a culture where it's okay to live marginless, to, to, to go without sleep. Why? For the sake of, of, of attaining or achieving what is, what is perceived as success or to outdo the next person. We, we, we get to the point where we make up villains in our lives to push ourselves further than, than, we, than we ought to go. And here it is. We demean ourselves. We tarnish the fact that we have been created in the image of God to be human beings and reduce ourselves to human doings. When we first meet people, the typical conversation usually goes, so what do you do? What if we took time out in our conversations when we're talking to somebody, so who are you? Because you think about it, when somebody asks us who we are, if somebody came and asked us who we are, it's going to take us some time to think about that. But somebody comes and asks you what you do. Oh, I'm a plumber. Oh, I'm a doctor. Oh, I'm an administrative assistant. 
Oh, I'm a correctional officer. You, you can say at the drop of a dime what it is that you do. But can you tell them who you are? And we find ourselves in an identity crisis. And it's real easy for us to find ourselves smuggling or juggling. Smuggling or juggling. Acts 17, 28 tells us, for in him we live and move and have our doing. Anybody reading, reading, reading along with the Acts 17, 28? For in him we live and move and have our doing? No, it's our being. In him we live, in him we move and have our being. Philippians 2.13, listen. As a smuggler and a juggler, performance-based, pretend-based, it's all about relying on your own strength. Philippians 2.13 tells us, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Not in your own strength, but in his. Why? Because greater is he who lives in me than he that lives in the world. The last person I want to talk about is who I believe all of us ought to be. And it might, it might throw you back a little bit. It might take you back a little bit. But I need you to understand where I'm coming from. The last person that we want to talk about is the struggler. We had the smuggler. We had the juggler. And now we're to the struggler. A struggler is the actual representation of joy. And you're like, Why? how could struggle have joy in the midst of it? That they sound like an oxymoron. How can struggle have anything to do with joy? Why? Because in struggling is where you're developed to be an overcomer. In struggling is where we are developed into an overcomer. We've been called to be more than conquerors. We've been called to be overcomers. And the thing about a struggler is a struggler don't have time to pretend, don't have time to perform because they know they don't have it all together. A struggler realizes that, you know what? Yeah, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this on my own. I can't rely on my own strength. It's not in my own strength, but it is God all the while in me. The struggler says, I, I need help. Somebody said that an acronym for joy is Jesus, others, and yourself. In that order, Jesus, others, then yourself. See, a struggler understands that, you know what, not my will, but your will. A struggler understands that I need to prefer others over myself. It's not saying forget about yourself. It's not being selfless, but being self-aware. Are you following? The struggler 
understands that they can look at bad news and respond to it in a great way. Why? Because they know that there's hope. They know that it doesn't, it doesn't rest on their shoulders. Why? Because they've, they've taken the yoke of being busy off of their shoulders and they've taken on the yoke of the Lord and they've taken on his burden because it's light. They realize that, that you know, while, it's, while, while, while I cast my cares and my burdens on him, I, I accept responsibility of being obedient to what it is that he's told me to do. He said, cast your cares, not the responsibility, but cast your cares on, cast your cares on me because I care for you. And so here it is. There's hope that's in the struggle. As a struggler, you can respond to bad news in great ways. There's a parable about a farmer and a mule. And this farmer's mule fell into an old dried out well. And being the fact that the well was so deep and the farmer was too feeble to, 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 to get the, the mule out, he figured, you know what, I'm going to just have to bury this mule down here in this well. And, and, and so I'm going to call my other friends that are, that, that are neighbors, I'm going to call them over to bring me some dirt so we can start shoveling into this well and, and fill this well up so this, this mule doesn't just stay down there and, and die this long, agonizing death. We're just going to bury him alive. And so the friends come over, they bring a truck and they got they got the, 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 the bed full of dirt. And so they're, they're starting to shovel. And as they're shoveling the dirt into the well, the, the, the mule starts going crazy because he knows what's happening. He realizes what's happening. And as they keep shoveling more dirt in there, after a while, the, the mule stopped going crazy. And as they keep shoveling, they're almost they're almost halfway through the pile of dirt that they've been shoveling into this deep well that a few moments later, the mule comes running up out of the well. What am I saying? What happened was the mule realized that in the midst of him being buried alive, that he said, you know what, they're filling this hole up with dirt. And every time it hit his back, he shook it off and took another step up until he was out of the well. What I need you to understand is that your struggle, what you struggle in today will be tomorrow's strength. Why? Because your strength is in your struggle. You're being developed into an overcomer. And so what ends up happening is a lot of times the help that God brings us don't look like help. We didn't, we didn't know that it was help. We didn't know that, that those that came to throw dirt on us because we were as good as dead. They didn't know that, that we were a seed. Because the seed can't grow without dirt being on top of it. And so we had to be buried. Just like the son of man went and was buried. If a seed remains by itself, it remains alone. But until it is buried and goes down and dies, then it will spring forth and bear much fruit. We didn't realize that what came and looked like it was our demise was really sent to help us. And that's the thing about being in the struggle is knowing that you're ready to fight to the very end. You're ready to fight to the last breath. You're ready to fight beyond the diagnosis. You're ready to fight beyond whatever the, the, the prognosis of the situation is. The struggler says, I will, I will only believe in the report of the Lord. I don't care how big the giants are. 
I believe the report of the Lord. Sometimes the help that God provides for us don't look like help. You think the little boy's lunch looked like it was help? Two fish, five loaves? Do you think that looked like help? Do you think the, the little shepherd boy that came to face a giant with his slingshot looked like he was help? And we know how that story ends. The struggle that you're in right now, understand and know that it is God's way of being in the midst of everything and causing it to work out for your good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. As I come to a close, the struggler is an overcomer. The struggler understands that it is not by their own strength, but by the power of the Lord. The struggler knows where their help comes from. A lot of us hear this, this scripture that we're about to read. We hear this scripture, we quote it, and we quote it wrongly. Psalm 121, it says, most of us quote the scripture as, I will look to the hills where my help comes from. That is not where your help comes from. Your help doesn't come from the hills. We look at it as, I look to the hills where my help comes from. And I, and I like watching a lot of these, like, these old movies like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that where they're in the midst of a battle and they're fighting their battles in the valley and they might be being overtaken or whatever the case may be and a lot of times what will happen is they'll look to the hill and they'll see the reinforcements coming over the mountains to come and help them. But hearing this, this is not what the situation is saying. And I believe that the writer had been in some predicaments like that where they had been in battle and they looked to the hills and they saw the reinforcements come. And when it was all said and done and they, they made it through that battle and they, they conquered and they overcame that they realized, you know what? I can look to the hills all I want and there can be as many reinforcements, but the reinforcements wouldn't have come or prevailed if it hadn't been for God who sent them. And so Psalm 121 says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. Question. From where shall my help come? Verse 2, the answer. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber briefly nor sleep soundly. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in. Everything that you do from this time forth and forever. 
That's a promise to the struggler. That's a promise to the struggler. He's going to bless your going out and your coming in. He's going to guard you. He's going to keep you. He's going to preserve your life. As long as you're the struggler and you know where your help comes from. Smuggler, they're on their own. Ask anybody who's doing time right now for smuggling. The rule, you don't know me if you get busted. Smuggling what don't belong to them to give it to people who don't care about them. Many of us are sitting in here and we've been smuggling. Smuggling these burdens. Giving them to people that don't care about us. Others of us in here juggling. Overextending ourselves. Overcommitting ourselves. You know, one of the most spiritual things that you can say is no. One of the most spiritual things you can say is no. God ain't asking you to be selfless. And he sure don't want you to be selfish, but he wants you to be self-aware. And you can only be aware of yourself to the degree that you know him. You can only be self-aware to the degree that you know him. Why? Because he's the one who made you. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. Before the foundations of the, of the worlds were made, he knew you. And he knew you by name. So my challenge to you this morning, as we're closing out, if you could stand to your feet. Altars are open. If you've been in here and you've been smuggling, carrying weight illegally, in illegal possession of what Jesus has paid for, whether it's your life, whether it's weights, whether it's sin, come to the altar and leave it with him. If you're in here and you've been juggling, you feel yourself slipping off the margin you right at the edge come to the altar let him get let him allow the lord to reset you allow the lord to 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 make an alteration in your life come to the altar i'm not going i'm not going to make this into this big elaborate thing you know whether you've been carrying what doesn't belong to you, you know whether you've been doing too much Hallelujah. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast. <laughs>